Well, that's pretty amazing for y'all to hear Timber and me both uh, speak, and neither one of us are talking about anything financial um, since <laughs> it's such a joy to get to work with her in, uh, in our financial consulting practice. And uh, Timber, what a, what a humble heart you have to, uh, to be saying, you know, I'm going to pray for this, but then I'm just going to trust God and uh, whatever he it is that he gives me. I, I love that, that heart. Um, you know, so we're going to explore something tonight, the topic that we're going to zero in on in this Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, is I think one of the key things that say one of the most difficult things in our lives to achieve and maintain. It's been that way for me. And yet it has been, whenever it is working, it is one of the most life-giving, rewarding things uh, in my life. What is this core topic that we're gonna really zero in on? It is the unity of God's children. Said another way, the unity of marriages, families, and the body of Christ. Here's what I hope you take away tonight with fresh energy and vision. Unity is difficult, but it is possible. Simple, but I think you're gonna see a powerful message of God that unity is difficult, but it is possible. You know, there's two, theologians would say there's probably two primary passages of scripture in the Bible about unity. And it's this section in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. We're gonna do one through six tonight, seven through 16 next week. And then the other passage that they would say speaks to this is John 17, which we're gonna touch on a little bit tonight as well. So where does this fit into the whole book of Ephesians that we're preaching through? Ephesians one through three really is, this is who you are now in Christ and four through six, chapters four through six. So live like it's true if that's who you are. So You know, chapters one through three in Ephesians are, are really incredible. And Stephen Jake did a, a great job of walking us through that over the last few weeks. And, and you know, in chapter one, um, Steve highlighted the fact that, that um, Jesus came to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And, and then in 122, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. 
And then Jake focused in, in Ephesians 3, 6, helping us to look at that scripture. It said, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I want you to repeat with me the first two lines of the Lord's prayer, okay? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, stop there and think with me for a minute about that phrase, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is, is inviting us to bring the kingdom down out of heaven into earth. And he is, and, and he's saying that's possible. And, uh, and, and that that is not only possible, but beautiful, powerful, and a big part of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth is this issue of unity. If, if we're going to experience the kingdom of God coming from heaven on earth, if that prayer in the Lord's prayer is answered, there's, we have got to be experiencing this unity that he's talking about. So what did Jesus have to say about this in John 17? He said, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So that's the target. Bring the unity within the Trinity to earth and do it within the body of God to get the church in Ephesus to wrap their arms around this exciting work of God, bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. So that means unity in marriages, families, and the body of Christ. I must confess that for too much of my life, I have operated with a mindset that most of these ideals just won't happen until heaven. Honestly, there's a part of me that looks at that goal and says, God, you've got to be kidding. There is no way people, and by people I mean me, are so flawed, so selfish, so insecure, 
so moved to control other people, so greedy that there is no way that we are going to be so united that the world is going to look at us and see the kingdom of God. Add to that my life experience of seeing so many marriages blow up, families fall apart, and churches fight, split, shut down, and bring shame on the name of Jesus. You know, it is so tempting to grow cynical and give up on unity, especially for people my age. You start out idealistic in your 20s, 30s, and then the pain of life removes the idealism. I'd ask you to ponder that for a moment and say, where do I land on the cynicism meter regarding unity? In your marriage, in your family, in the body of Christ, have you given up? We do live in a fallen world and we are very flawed people, but I think that God wants us to fight to the end of time for unity and not grow cynical. Which makes me really grateful and humbled that Jesus has kept Stacy and I largely out of that ditch of cynicism. Stacy and I have gone through some really hard times in our marriage, but we have fought for unity. Currently, the unity in our marriage has never been higher. And June 30th, we celebrate 39 years of marriage. So, so excited. You know, as, as my kids were growing up, I watched them fight with each other and I wondered if they would grow up and never speak to each other. I know you can't picture Kara fighting like that uh, with anybody, right? My father and his brother didn't speak to each other for the last 30 years of their life. So I have a little bit of PTSD in that space. About a year ago, my three kids, Kara, Matt, and Kim, had a, a weekend together without spouses and without parents at our lake house. A siblings retreat, I think they called it. It brought tears to my eyes to see their unity. And you know, Hope Church has shown that we can go through really hard times and keep fighting for unity. I have relationships in my life that are not where I would like them from a unity perspective, just like you do, I'm sure. But what I believe more than ever is that unity is difficult, but it is possible. You know, there's a, a couple of people that are uh, um, prominent believers in the, in the world that have made comments about this that I think indicate to me 
They are fighting for unity. Johnny Erickson Tata said, believers are never told to become one. We, are, we already are one and we're expected to act like it. Jesus is the head and we're the body and we're connected in the body and we are one. We just need to act like it. Johnny Erickson Tata has been fighting for unity even though she's been living in a wheelchair all of her life. I, and, and then Dwight L. Moody said, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. That's convicting and challenging to me to say, I want the Spirit of God to work in my life, in your life, and Hope Church's life. Without unity, I don't think he's gonna do anything significant. The beautiful thing is, I think he is creating unity within our family, within this body that's, that is beautiful. But you might say, Randy, I, I am so different from the people that I meet in church. I get it. Have you, have you ever had this thought about another person? You know, if, if you and I weren't both followers of Jesus, I don't think we would be friends because we don't have much in common. But then... In spite of that, you really grow to like that person. Turns out, you both love the same person, Jesus. And that is a powerful glue. That has happened to me many times. Unity is difficult, but it is possible. Hey, junior high and high school students, Think with me about your school campus for a minute. I know some of you are homeschooled, so this doesn't apply to everybody. But I think school today is like it was when I was in high school. So we had all these different groups. I played basketball, so I was part of the group that was into sports. Stacy was on the drill team at my same high school, which was a unique subculture. Stacy being the cutest member of that subculture. <laughs> then there were the really smart kids group. That was a subculture. And then there was the group of uh, people that drove trucks and wore cowboy boots. And you know what? Now there's a group that didn't even exist when I was in high school. It's because we didn't have computers. I guess Best Buy would call that group the Geek Squad. Let's just say that these groups didn't do joint social events at my school. But there was one thing that briefly unified all of these groups at my high school. It was the pep rally. We all came together 
in unified support for one hour to prepare for battle against a cross-town rival in some sport. Being a basketball player, I appreciated the passionate support and unity of the school, even if it was just for one hour plus game time. So it was having a mutual enemy that brought us together. Unity is difficult in a high school, but it is possible. Hope Church also has an enemy. And it's not the church down the street. It is Satan. And he hates our pep rally, which is largely this service. But unlike the school pep rally, where we are not preparing to just send a few players out into the battle, we are all going out with the love of Christ to bring light to darkness. So how do we do it? How can we be so unified that we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and draw the world to Jesus. Remember that Paul was asking for and expecting a miracle of sorts when he unveiled this plan of unity. He was asking Jews and Gentiles to live together in harmony, very unheard of in that day. Most of those two groups hated each other we're skeptical of each other, we're distrusting of each other, we're at least jaded in their view of each other. But Paul is saying to both sides of that equation, unity is difficult, but it's possible. So what is our unity game plan? I want to take, I want to suggest three things from Ephesians that we can um, run with for our unity game plan. And the, and the first is going to require me to step back and pile on top of Jake's last message a couple of weeks ago out of Ephesians 3, because that concept in chapter three, verse 17, is I think fundamental to unity. And, and that's why it's right before chapter four and, and why it, we've got to come back and just once again, highlight the power in 317, where it says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Jake, Jake helped us see it is not just head knowledge about the love of God that will do, we must experience it. Which includes an emotional connection with God and his love. 
I have struggled with this all my life. It oftentimes feels like three steps forward, two steps back to experience, taste, feel the love of God. And it, and it come out of my head down into my heart. I'm, I'm now in a time, in a zone where about once a month, I have an experience in my quiet time or devotional time with Jesus where his love is so real and tangible that it brings me to tears. It actually happened this morning. I don't want to overstate the importance of this type of an emotional connection with Jesus, but I also don't want to understate it. You know, when I've gone a long time without that touch of affection from Jesus, I start to feel empty, frustrated, and often become unpleasant to be around. When I experience conflict with uh, Stacy, family, fellow believers, there's usually some emotion that I'm feeling like fear, anxiety, worry, greed, desire to be in control. But those are all things that diminish greatly when I experience the loving presence of Jesus. For me, God uses music oftentimes, he did this morning in that time, to bring me into his presence, into his arms, into his heart. I was listening to a song this morning about how faithful he has been. And I just thought back over my lifetime how faithful he's been. And it was overwhelming. Just overwhelming. I just felt his, his loving kindness in a way that was just beautiful, powerful, life-giving. Like all the problems of life kind of go away. When you're connected to the heart of Jesus, not just the, the, the mind and the will. If we're gonna be unified as married partners, families, body of Christ, we're gonna have to be good at loving people. First John 4 reminds us that we love because God first loved us. So God's plan is simple. He loves us 
We taste it and receive it. And then we pass it on. Which is one of the reasons why that we have tried over these recent, this last year, to more and more bring into the end of our sermons what we call an experiential time. Just a few minutes for you to connect with the heart of the Father so that it takes what we've been talking about out of just that realm of mental gymnastics into our heart. It takes it to the place of feeling, experiencing. Next week, you'll, you'll see some scriptures that talk about making sure that we know a lot of truth about Jesus, but even in that verse, those verses, they're gonna be talking about knowing about Jesus. I believe that what that's gonna lead us to see is, is that it's not just mental knowledge of understanding facts, but knowing it experientially. So that's the first key, is that we have got to experience the heart of Jesus. So what is the second thing that, um, that we need to do? Paul tells us in, in verse two, in chapter four, in our scripture for the day, uh, verse two, that we need to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So if, if we're gonna experience unity in our marriage, family, friendships, roommates, body of Christ, these character qualities Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. These things, these character qualities are gonna have to be real and alive in our lives and in our body. This, that is where, and, and starting it if you're married, at home, that's where you practice unity. I mean, we can talk about the unity of the body, and we do, and we are, but where you need to practice it is at home. That's where you've gotta get good at it. And that's why Stacy and I have such a passion for marriage ministry. And why we have such a passion for understanding how a husband and a wife can be unified. And, and, and why we have such a passion for helping couples heal hurts. Because that's one of the, I mean, when, when we get to the point with a married couple where they're getting a divorce, every single time we can, we can back it up 
and there's a point in time where they stopped healing hurts. They stopped meeting needs. They stopped loving each other biblically, but they, they started to live without the unity of healing hurts. And, and when we, as we help couples understand how to love at the point of valid, legitimate biblical needs and then heal hurts, it just, the, the, the divorce rate just almost goes to zero. It, it's just incredible. So, so ask your, the, those closest to you, how am I doing with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? Have the courage, and it takes courage, to ask your spouse if you're married, ask your friends, if you're in high school or junior high, ask your parents. If there's one of these, mom, dad, that you think I ought to work on over the next six months, would it be humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with my brother, sister, <laughs> being patient with my brother or sister? Paul said all this a little differently, but listen to the way he worded it when he wrote to the uh, Colossians, Colossians 3, when he said, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also must you must forgive. And then listen to this last phrase. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the unity that we're talking about. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that verse, chapter four, verse two, gives you targets, simplest, simple targets. And it hit me really hard this week as, as I was digging into the word humble and humility and asking, I wonder where I am with humility. I wonder how I'm doing with humility. One of the definitions that I read about Humility from a biblical perspective is that a humble person sees other people as made in the image of God. And I ask myself that question, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if I am, if I'm very often looking at people that I work with, that I go to church with, that I run into at the 
dry cleaners. I wonder how often I see them through the lens of they're made in the image of God. And that was very convicting because that's not a prevalent thing that I'm aware of, that I'm sensitive to, that I'm alert to and saying, especially when someone gets frustrating to you, that is a great time to say, hmm, wow, that person made in the image of God just said something very hurtful to me. <laughs> when you think about those first two words, humble and gentle, does that remind you of another scripture that, that has those two words in it? Maybe Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for I am humble and gentle. Jesus described himself. He could have used all, in any and all words to describe himself and he used humble and gentle as the two primary definitions, descriptions of who he is. Humble and gentle. So if we're gonna become more and more like Christ, then I think taking on those two character qualities, humble and gentle, would be a powerful, powerful thing. What's the opposite of humility? Pride. Pride kills unity. Kills unity in your marriage, if you're married, and, and, and your family, and the body of Christ. And God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is, in, is me not seeing the image of God in other people. All right, so what's the third and final thing? As we close out, I'm gonna ask the music team to come up and, uh, and prepare to lead us through this experiential because in verse four, chapter four, verse four, it says there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That is so simple and beautiful that there's just one. Everything is simplified. Everything is brought down into there's just one. So we let scripture oftentimes interpret scripture by once again hearing from Jesus those verses in John 17 that I mentioned earlier. This is Jesus' final prayer. He mentions unity several times in this prayer. It's clearly, unity is clearly a big thing to him. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become 
perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I want you to think about those, those words in John 17. Those final words of Jesus. And, and I'd, like to, I'd like to ask you to, to meditate for a few minutes on those words. And, and see if it, if it can become more clear what this picture is that Jesus is painting, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. They are loving each other. John 17, Jesus says that the Father's been loving me from before the foundation of the earth, and I want you guys to get in on it. And, he's, and he prays that, that we, that you, he prayed for you and me that we would taste that love and become perfectly one so that the world may believe. Would you just spend a minute and just picture the, the intimacy, the love between Jesus and the Father? And and just as you now close your eyes and think about what that might have been like, maybe a picture will come to your mind of what that could be like for the father and the son to be loving on each other. Think about maybe something that the son, that Jesus said to the father, something that the father said to Jesus that would represent a loving, intimate relationship between them. What might God have said to Jesus before he sent Jesus to the world? Right before Jesus became a human, what might a conversation have been between them that was so loving and unifying. Ask God to reveal something to you right now.
Lord Jesus, we just confess that at times we would have to say, Lord, this unity thing is really, really hard. And if I'm honest, I, I am a little cynical. I don't quite see how we can be, bring the kingdom of God to earth like you want it to be. But Jesus, you've said, and you have encouraged us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So may that unity come and be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, we can't do this in our own strength, but we don't. And we know you don't intend for us to. And as Johnny Erickson Tata said, we are one. We just need to act like it. So give us the grace to act like it, to live like it at home and outside of the home. You know, maybe as a result of thinking about this unity, you, you could use some prayer. Come up now and, and ask for prayer. Spend a moment with our prayer team and, and ask them to pray over you. If you f- are feeling some cynicism, ask for prayer to help you, f- that you might fight for unity all the way to the end of your life. And whatever it is that you need to fight for right now, ask for prayer for that. And let us love one another at the point of unity.